and welcome to the Movie Mouth Film and TV Podcast, a podcast for all movie lovers. This week, we have a huge and exclusive interview with up-and-coming actor Jeff Gann, whose most recent roles include all three seasons of Netflix's Ozark and Marvel's Black Panther, along with reviews of this week's Watch at Home content, some fun listener questions, film and TV news, and we'll be discussing our recent rewatch of the classic Catherine Bigelow-directed Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze starring Point Break in Video Store Corner. We are officially halfway through this cock-juggling thunder cunt of a year. And so, instead of dropping a witty movie-related quote to start our pod, I shall simply quote Maya Angelou, who said, Stand up straight and realize who you are, and that you are a tower over your circumstances. You might think my co-host is a mild-mannered, hard-drinking sidekick to my whip-cracking, temple-raiding, fedora-wearing hero, and that he sticks out like a sore thumb and is easy to find. But the hell you will. He's always got a two-day head start on you, which is more than he needs. He's got friends in every town and village from here to the Sudan. He speaks a dozen languages and knows every local custom. He'll blend in, disappear, and you will never see him again. With any luck, he's got the grail already. Habari, Phil. What? What did you say? You're supposed to speak a dozen languages and know every local custom. <laughs> Hi, Phil. That's all right. Hello. All right. How how are you this week? I'm good, thanks. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> so let's jump this week to the listener questions. Our first question is from Roy on the Isle of Wight. Care to explain where that is for our non-UK listeners, Phil? Uh, it's a small island off the south coast of the country, the UK. The country being, oh, oh. Uh, you access it via a ferry from Portsmouth. It's a nice place. I've been there once. One of the best castles, medieval castles in the UK. <laughs> Brilliant. I love it. I love a castle. That was more information than I think anyone needed. Roy asks, right, boys. My grandfather was a hero on the little ships that evacuated the troops on Dunkirk Beach in World War II. I saw the 2017 Christopher Nolan movie Dunkirk and was in absolute floods of tears when the credits rolled. I sat there the whole way through them. The question is, what movies or TV shows have made you cry? And I'm talking about crying like a little bitch-ass baby. Loving the podcast, keep, the, keep up the great work. Thanks for that question, Roy. I mean, I can kick this one off as the, let's face it, most emotional person on the podcast. Um, for me, uh, I'll start with being a young child and actually crying like a child. That was E.T. And oh. in particular, the scene when Elliot and the boys help E.T. get to his spacecraft in the forest and E.T. points at Elliot's head and his heart and he mutters the immortal line, I'll be right here. <laughs> and then, of yeah, course, he gets great. on the spacecraft and fucks off. Um, but this ultimately <laughs> made me realize, as a seven-year-old child, that life was going to be a succession of people saying goodbye to me. And that was a lot to take. So, fuck you, Steven Spielberg. My second choice, um, and sorry to mention this one again, but it would, it would be, uh, as we talked about the soundtrack last week, Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain. 
people are going to be like, shut the fuck up about this movie. But for me, God, the Miles. moment... Get... God. <laughs> the moment you realize that Hugh Jackman has been nurturing and taking the now dying tree, which grew from the seed planted on his wife's grave, played by Rachel Weisz, to the nearest nebula, Shibalba, in order to bring it back to life and turn death into an act of creation. Um, every time floods of tears he's actually taking it in a giant space bubble and he's whispering to the tree and the hairs on the tree are standing on end the fibers even though the tree is dying they stand on end and you see flashbacks to when he's talking in his wife's ear and and her hair is standing on end and the soundtrack performances visuals it has the most orgasmic death creation climax scene you will ever see brings me into absolute floods of tears every time that feeling of undying love um and for a man's need to bring, you know, his soulmate's life back hits me in the gut every fucking time, like regardless of how many times I've watched this movie over the years. And it's uh, it's a lesson that I'm still learning today. Probably shouldn't watch this movie so much, but it um, I'm actually wiping tears away right now. <laughs> so I'll shut up. Come on in, Phil. What's uh, what's give us some of yours? I'm I'm a little bit of ashamed to admit, admit the first one I'm going to speak about. Please tell me it's Titanic. No, it wasn't. Uh, I, w- <laughs> I went to see the film I'm about <laughs> to speak about at the cinema. I don't know wh- why, but it was Disney's Eight Below <laughs> with, starring with Paul, Paul Walker. B- Paul Walker. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I... The only other film that wasn't a Fast and Furious movie that he was in. Oh, no, he was in Into the Blue as well, but come on. Yeah. The problem is, anything with an animal in it, especially a dog that comes to harm, I say, I'm I'm Mm. absolutely done for. Mm. Absolutely. I am legend, done for. (laughs) Eight Below, though. Oh, my God. I I left, like, there's loads of kids in the cinema, and I, I left, like, an emotional wreck. Did they leave because you were crying too much as a grown-ass man? It's just a man sobbing in the corner of Eight Below. <laughs> this doesn't know why he's there. Were you on your own watching this, or were you with someone? Uh, no, I was with my sister-in-law, <laughs> and she found it hilarious. She was just laughing that I was crying, blubbing like a baby <laughs> oh in the corner. Oh, my God. And uh, it's because, you know, I, I love... I'm an animal... I, I love animals, right? And especially dogs and cats, but it... He has to leave his husk. He's basically Paul Walker plays like a reset from what I can remember because I've not, I can't watch it again. I've been scarred by it. So it's traumatized you. <laughs> it's, it's got me. Um, I think he plays like a research scientist in the North Pole or where somewhere cold that's got huskies. And uh, he has a team of huskies that he loves. And there's a, like a, a snowstorm coming and he has no choice but to leave the huskies behind. Uh, at the research facility and i think it's then about i can't exactly remember but i think it's more about like the him trying to rescue get back to rescue the huskies and spoiler alert at least one of them dies i don't think we need a spoiler alert anymore and this film came out in what the early (laughs) 2000s yeah i know but yeah it was terrible i'm as i said i'm the same with any film with animals in it i am legend exactly the same and then going younger when the horse in the never-ending story gets sucked into the quicksand stuff oh my god what the hell that's such a weird scene i know it's awful 
It's absolutely awful. Um, but then, what else? Band of Brothers. Band of Brothers. Got oh. Me. Uh, absolutely got me. When they're doing the actual like interviews with the the real oh, in guys. In the credits. In the wow. credits. It, it got me, like, right in the gut. Yeah, that that did me in. Looks like they got old Garnier this time. Thanks for that, Roy, of what I love white. It just made me sad. Yeah, I think we're going to end the podcast here, but thanks, Roy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So wiping those tears away, our next question comes from Ashley in Brighton, UK, who has asked, I haven't seen many of the classic movies you've rewatched in Video Store Corner, Pulp Fiction included. Can I just say, Ashley, if you're listening to this, please watch Pulp Fiction, please. So I'd like to know your thoughts on the kind of movies that I love. What are your two favorite chick flicks of all time? Phil, would you like to enlighten us with your choices? Because I know you're a big chick flick fan. Uh, This is probably my least favorite genre of film. (laughs) Hence why I asked you first. I can't wait for your answers here. Oh, wait a minute. uh, Does Titanic count as a chick flick? It can do, yes. I'm going to count that then. Because that film's amazing, and I actually really, really, really like it. Uh, she had room uh, on that fucking door, though. She did. She definitely yeah. had room Absolutely. on that door. Absolutely, but she was first class, though, was she? So she, it, <laughs> it came was, out at the end. It came out the edge. She was like, "Oh, I don't think there's room, Jack. Sorry about that. You're gonna have to just swim, bob, bob about there for me, Jack, while I adjust my position on this massive door that I'm lying on." Was it a chick flick, or was it just a a Class war on the water. As both. I don't know if it was a chick flick, but I don't watch many chick flicks, I'm afraid. I think I watched Love Actually. I quite like that. That was that was good. Um <laughs> You hate Love Actually. Don't even pretend. No, I do, I hate it. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't hate I don't hate it. It is good, but I've just it's just not my thing, I'm afraid. It, but you know. I can appreciate it for what it is, but uh, I'll, I'm going to bat this one straight over to you. So you've basically given us essentially half of a chick flick and one that Titanic you don't really and Love like. Actually. Yeah, so I, I'll, I'll start with Love Actually. Richard Curtis's 2003 holiday-themed multi-story rom-com. Andrew Lincoln cheating on his best mate by perving on his new wife and filming only her at the wedding. Uh, Alan Rickman being a total piece of shit to his wife, Emma Thompson, and buying her a fucking Joni Mitchell CD when she thought it was a necklace he'd bought for his personal assistant. What a bastard. (laughs) Um, Hugh Grant as the Prime Minister dancing around 10 Downing Street. How twee, how fun. Um, The little dead-eyed kid who turned up in the Maze Runner and Game of Thrones telling his stepfather, Liam Neeson, that he loves his American school friend. I love her. If I learn how to play the drums, Daddy, will she fall in love with me? Um, and the end with the airport reunited scene. Come on, that's that could even be a front runner for a a movie that makes me cry because of that scene at the end. They're all reunited. No, it's good. You've just you've just sold me that film again. It is there good. you go. What it's a, a classic cast as well. It's a very it's a good classic. Cast. And like at Christmas time, you got to put it on. Um, yeah. My other option: Crazy Stupid Love. The Ryan Gosling, Steve Carell, Julianne Moore, and Emma Stone fronted movie, which is a mm-hmm. um, it's a movie about kind of different um, age groups in relationships. Steve Carell, Julianne Moore are married. Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone are kind of flirting and starting to get together. Um, Steve Carell gets divorced, meets up with Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling starts giving him like masculine advice, like how to dress, what to 
how to hold yourself and they start picking up women and that kind of thing and it's kind of soulless and then there's a huge twist again i'm not going to give a spoiler alert because if you haven't watched crazy stupid love while you listen to this podcast um but ultimately uh right it turns out that ryan gosling is dating emma stone and emma stone turns out to be steve carell's daughter and he's like giving him advice all it's a brilliant twist that i personally didn't see coming it's a brilliant movie um, I love how it represents both sides of the story from the male and female point of view. Great performances um, and a lot of depth. Um, I'm crazily, stupidly in love with Crazy Stupid Love. Good movie. <laughs> I hope that okay. answered your question, Ashley. And if you are listening to this, please, please go and watch Pulp Fiction and then Point Break. So, Phil, what have you seen in the news this week? This week, so it's a few bits that I picked up. Uh, first mm-hmm. one is that uh, apparently there's rumours that a Groundhog Day TV series is in the works. Oh, um, hot on the heels of the Groundhog Day musical. Yeah, and it, it's meant to be set 30 years after the end of the film. Oh, it's a continuation. It's a sequel yeah. TV series. Yeah, but like 30 years, so I'm not sure if you do anything really. No, I know. I don't know. I mean, I love that film, but does it need a TV series? I don't know. It um, could be good fun. Starring Bill Murray or It doesn't say. There's no there's not much info on it to be honest. I've seen it Imagine from that a few if different he'd sources. He'd been stuck for whatever. It's supposed to be like 10,000 years he's supposed to be stuck there, isn't it? And he <laughs> someone worked out <laughs> that he was stuck in that he was stuck he was stuck in the town oh, of Punxsutawney for 10,000 years. Oh, Imagine works it all out repeats the day for 10,000 years. Eventually, you know, he's killed himself multiple times, comes back to reality, wakes up. It's a new day, starts his life again. 30 years later, <laughs> he gets stuck <laughs> in the same loop. <laughs> That'd be great if they just made like another, and it's just literally Bill Murray. If Me, it's not yeah. that, I don't want it. I don't want it in my life. No, I think I agree actually. Yeah. <laughs> but the person that let it slip is the guy who plays, is it Ned? No, uh, yeah, Phil? Ned, Ned Bryerson. Phil Connors, Phil, yeah, that guy. He, he, uh, the Ned Bryerson. Him, yeah, he, he's the one that said that it's in the works. So, someone said that he was actually the 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 whole crux of the of the. He was like the demon, the devil that was controlling Phil's <laughs> descent into madness. The puppet master. Yeah, he was the puppet master, Ned Ryerson. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that. Um, there's a bit of news about cinema chains in both over here in the UK and in the US delaying their opening due to the. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know what is the situation is in the US, but over here, cinemas were allowed to reopen um, theoretically this week, but I think a lot of them are pushing back. Uh, the 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 opening dates while they work out the best way to have uh, customers in them, but it's also cited because blockbuster films have been pushed back release dates as well. So you know, there's not much for people to see. Uh, I think it's a bit of an issue. Mm. Um. So yeah, that's that. Um. The other thing I saw. This is more sort of well, I guess local news in a way, but it's quite interesting. It's, and I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago about 
the rise of drive-in cinemas while the COVID situation yeah, is happening. That's right. Yeah, yeah episode which two, again, we talked about that. they aren't a thing in the UK really. But I've seen, funnily enough, I, I I saw this story today because it's quite local to me. But then I saw an, an advert for another one that's opened up. So there's a there's a few outdoor drive-in cinemas popping up. But the interesting one is opening up in a place called Haywards Heath, which is in West Sussex, which is quite near me. Um, and they're claiming to be the world's only and first uh, indoor drive-in cinema. It's the world's first and only indoor driving cinema in Haywards Heath. <laughs> in Haywards Heath, England. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't, I don't know if they're the world's first. Probably, well, maybe i've not researched it in it's much like depth. You, when you in, when you live in the u.s you drive down the freeway and there's always the world's first or the world's largest or like, yeah yeah no one's gonna check come see they? the no world's get, largest lollipop no one's gonna get the guinness book of records out of their glove box and say oh yeah actually that is the world's largest one or oh no it's not by three inches it's not the longest yeah. lollipop. especially not if they're practicing social distancing they won't no, that's right. So it could be interesting, and because it is local to me, I I might well check it out. I had a look at their um their website. They've got some cool stuff listed. I think they're showing the Goonies and Back to the Future, yep. and yeah, you know all those classics that all these sign me cinemas up. pop up ones show. So yeah, that could be good. Um, and then the last bit of news I had this week, which is a, a sad one, is uh Carl Reiner died. Yeah. Um. Carl Reiner, he's uh, the, I mean, a lot of people sort of our age will know him from, um, he starred in Ocean's Eleven, mm. um, and he was great in that, but he's the uh, double act with Mel Brooks, which is sort of where he um, cut his teeth, uh, and he directed The Jerk uh, and The Man With Two Brains, the Steve Martin classic film. Oh, Steve, Ma- Steve Martin, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, sadly... He died this week. Natural causes. He was ninety-eight, but um, and he's the father of uh, Rob Reiner, who may well know. He's the famous director. Did Spinal Tap, uh, yeah. etc. So yeah, so that's a shame. He was a really, really a funny guy. Wonder how Mel Brooks though. is feeling because they were very close to this day. I know that they were. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's very sad. Yeah, ninety-eight. Ninety-eight. Yeah. yeah so good, not bad. Good news. Yeah. You got anything to bring us out of that? Uh, well, uh, let's sad let's, fact. let's move let's move to some happy news, shall we, Phil? Get ready to yes, sing happy birthday because today, being July third and not July fourth, when you're listening to this, um, is the official birthday, allegedly, of Thomas Cruz Mapother the fourth. He is fifty eight, fifty fucking eight, ladies and gentlemen. Tom Cruise, look at the look at the man. He's 58. Is that his name? Thomas Cruz, my brother the fourth. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know that. So happy birthday, Tom Cruise. Happy, happy birthday, birthday, Tom Cruise. Cruise. Ha- <laughs> <laughs> What's that weird background vocals you're doing? That's, that doesn't work for me. It probably works for him. Har- I was going to try and harmonize, but. Definitely works up. for him. He's a little creepy. Yeah. Um, but happy birthday, Tom. We love you. Um, Disney Plus launched the Hamilton musical almost a year early so you can actually watch if you've ever been interested in watching the Hamilton music musical of course um, famously by Lin-Manuel Miranda um, you know tickets are super expensive on the West End End here in Broadway obviously right now they're non-existent 
Um, but this gives you a really good chance to see what people are talking about. And it was actually the original cast that was filmed. So you can see that original cast, which all of the buzz was about. They've all since moved on to other projects, including, of course, um, the lead in the Snowpiercer TV series. He was in this as well. Um, so that's streaming now uh, globally on Disney+. Plus. Um, we've also heard that next week, which we will likely be reviewing, that Netflix is dropping a movie called The Old Guard, starring Charlize Theron. And that's on July 12th. And this is a high concept action movie, which sees her and a group of kick-ass mercenaries be able to survive death. Meaning that in fight scenes and shootout scenes, they can literally shoot through each other to kill the bad guys. It looks like a lot of fun. Early passes, but this is pretty good. I watched the trailer for this this week and it did look very fun. Yeah. Um, I'm quite looking forward to that one, actually. Have you seen any other trailers this week? Uh, the only other one I watched was the new um, Shia LaBeouf film, uh, The Tax Collector. Yes, David Ayer. Yeah, uh, yeah, David Ayer directed, who did Suicide Squad and um, Fury and Bright, the other Netflix film, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed that, actually. He did. Um, um, I really liked uh, Harsh Times with Christian Bale, which I... Oh, yeah, that was. Well. I think that was like one of his first ones he directed, yeah. possibly. Um, and I think looking it up on um, online, I think he's doing a Bright 2 as well. So, because oh, I really geez. enjoyed the first Bright, I really liked the idea. Oh, really? Of that. I really liked it. I, th- I thought it was good. Am I in the minority there? I, uh, I'm not the judge of everything, but uh, it, I don't think it was a great movie. Uh, he's, I quite liked it. The thing is with David Ayer, he's, he's an incredible talent. It seems like he goes from one good movie to one bad movie, from one good movie to one bad movie. If you look at his filmography, for example, I'm sorry about this. I just, I, I've always felt this way about him. No, let Harsh it out, Miles. It's fine. I'm letting it all out today. <laughs> Harsh Times, incredible. 2005, Christian Bale. Goes on to do Street Kings with Keanu Reeves. Terrible movie. Goes on to do End of Watch with Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena. Incredible movie a ride-along type movie if you haven't seen end of watch that's that's the movie it's basically bright it's the same movie as bright except it's a latin american cop and a white cop driving around la it's basically it's basically bright instead of it being a fairy and a fucking goblin or whatever it is so he does end of watch (laughs) he does end of watch okay hit then he does sabotage with arnold schwarzenegger fucking terrible movie Terrible movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger as John Breacher, um, which was uh, appalling. Um, He then, and this is just to prove my point, he then goes on to direct Fury with Brad Pitt. Incredible fucking movie. Yeah. Do you see where I'm getting at here? Yeah. Next movie? Next movie? Suicide Squad. Mm. Terrible. Terrible. Next movie? Bright. I didn't love it. You clearly do. Tells me people generally think it's good. He has this really weird, like, good one, bad one, good one, bad one. So looking at Bright, if you think Bright is acceptable, then it means that this, based on the run of things, could be could be really bad. Anyway, sorry, I've completely talked over your your trailer breakdown. No, it's fine. So yes, the tax collector, back to it. Um, Shia LaBeouf and uh, Bobby Soto uh, mm-hmm. starring in this. And it's just about a a crime lord that 
Shia LaBeouf's character and Bobby Soto. So Creeper and David are the character names. So they, <laughs> they, yeah, it's a bit weird. Those wouldn't those um, be the our, our character names if we if we were in a movie? Well, you'd be Creeper. I'd, I'd just be David. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, he play, they play money collectors basically for um for this local crime lord, right? Um, and they get into a bit of a into a bit of bother. Uh, it seems with it's like they're skimming uh, for like the, all the local cri- the local crime lord, all of the like, yeah. local gangs and stuff. They're just skimming. It looks pretty pretty interesting. Um, yeah, it does look. Shia LaBeouf, Shia LaBeouf looks good in it. Like, yeah, but different. is he doing? Is it just me? Or is he doing like a like a kind of Latin American accent? Uh, it did seem that way, which was a bit. What weird. the fuck is that all about? Yeah, I know. I don't know. Hey, Bobby! Like, why? Yeah, why have like that, Shia LaBeouf actually. doing that? Now you've said it. Yeah, that is a bit odd weird makes me want to watch it more <laughs> yeah I, to be honest i really like david Ayer. like i said it just he he lets me down 50 percent of the time so well you wait for bright two then you'll be change your mind <laughs> i saw um <laughs> we'll see i saw a, a wicked trailer can i just read this out loud because you're not going to believe this so I, I, this is a new hbo comedy okay called mm. An American Pickle. Right. This stars Seth Rogen as Herschel Greenbaum, who's a struggling laborer in a hundred years ago in the Eastern European country of Shlupsk, who, <laughs> for many reasons that we have yet to define, falls into a giant vat of pickles and is brined for 100 years. What? <laughs> when he finally... <laughs> Shut up. When he finally emerges from the briny depths in modern-day New York, without aging a day, by the way, he's met by his great-grandson, Ben, who's also played by Seth Rogen. And the two, it appears, are kind of navigating modern-day New York. Like, you know, obviously Herschel, his whole life is behind him. He's like, you know, fish out of water. Whereas Ben is like down and out. He hasn't got a job. He hasn't got a girlfriend. He hasn't got any friends. And he's trying to move on with life. So they kind of team up. It's like a buddy thing. Um, it actually looks quite funny. There's a really funny scene where Herschel has obviously just got to Ben's apartment and there's a there's like a poster, like a montage poster on Ben's wall um, and uh, of, of David Bowie. And there's like lots of different images of David Bowie like through the years, you know, all the different like um, characters that David Bowie played, like Ziggy Stardust and that kind of thing. Mm. And like Ben, um, Herschel like points to one and, and he's like, is this your father? And Ben's like, no, that's David Bowie. And then he points to another one, another David Bowie, and he's like, is this your mother? <laughs> and he's like, no, that's also David Bowie. Um, I mean, this fun. just sounds like Forever Young, but with, uh, <laughs> instead of like being an awesome fighter pilot from the war, he's like a, he just fell into some pickle juice. Yeah, but if if Mel Gibson was the one as playing his great-grandson that pulled him out of the cryogenically frozen whatever thing that Mel Gibson fell yeah. into... And then helped him navigate modern day New York. <laughs> Sounds like Don't get I, me started on Forever Young. I'm, I've, I've just stopped crying. Um, love, but this is based on a New York New Yorker novella by Simon Rich. And it looks super fun. It looks bizarre. Check out the trailer That's online. It's going to launch on HBO Max on August 6th, 2020. So this is one I'm actually really looking forward to. It looks insane. That sounds um, fun. Yeah. Sounds fun. So moving on to reviews, this week, uh, it's only the one, we have Netflix's new 10-part show, Warrior Nun, which is streaming right now. Phil, 
you watch this one? What's this all about? I did. So I watched the first two episodes of this. Um, and it's a new fantasy action drama series based on a comic book by Ben Dunn, which I think came out in the 90s. Mid, early um, to mid-90s, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. It's like an American manga style comic. Um, but it, it, it's basically about a young girl who wakes up in a morgue and through a series of events that happen right at the beginning of the first episode, uh, she becomes sort of leader of this. They call it the Order of the Cruciform Sword, which is a fictional order of warrior nuns and priests uh, for the Catholic Church. And they've been around for a long time, you know, sort of 1066 mm. time. Uh, and basically, yeah, they have to go about and fight evil things, demons and all this. So it's sort of like Buffy, Buffy the Vampire. Buffy. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, like, it's like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, yeah, it's a bit, yeah, it's, you know, it's. I think it's a pretty cool story. I like. I like these kind of things about sort of ancient orders that have been going for thousands of years and passed down. So the reason that she is the leader of this, she becomes the leader of the, well, not leader, but she becomes important to the, to the um, order um, of the cruciform sword uh, is that she sort of accidentally has an angel's halo placed into her back. Um, it sort of gets surgically implanted into her back. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to... And then she kind of wakes up off of the mortuary slab. Yeah, she and... wakes up. So she gets like a second yeah. chance, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and she's got these powers. And again, I, you know, I've only seen the first two episodes, so it's a little bit of an unfair... Um, I'm not going to judge it too much on two episodes because there's quite a lot of action in the first sort of 10 minutes of the first episode. And then yeah, for the next you know, rest of that episode and the it's sort of character building, it's plot building. So there's not a huge amount going on. Um, having read some other bits and pieces about it, I think it picks up later in the series. So, but to be who's honest, it's aimed at, you know, who's this, is this for me and you as, you know, mid 30 year old men, or is this, you know, is it, <sighs> it probably is, I'd say, but, and a bit younger as well. It's quite a young cast in it. Hmm. Um, the lead's played by Alba Baptista. Um, Portuguese, right? She's Portuguese, yeah. And I, I think was it's trying her first... to place her accent for in both episodes, and I was like, she kind yeah, of sounds she just English. Sounds English American, but then she, I thought it, she was I, Irish doing an American accent. Well, apparently, this is her first English speaking role. Incredible. Her honestly, I mean, it's not oh, it's, it's not an issue with her accent at all. It's just no, no, incredible. If she, this is her first English speaking role. Yeah, no, it is. It's her first. Yeah, it's her first wow. English speaking role, and yeah, she's you know her English is amazing. It's it's fantastic. Mm. I think there's a few issues I've got with it just from picking up from the first, you know, two episodes. One, the dialogue, and the the speech, like the the um, script writing, it's really dire. It's so mm. contrived. It just feels. It's not as if the performances are bad. It's just that what they're saying is completely unbelievable. Mm. Um, 
and I think that's that's sort of letting it down quite a lot. Maybe you know, again, maybe that will change later on in the series. I think another thing I don't like so much is that the main character Ava she narrates herself at certain mm-hmm. times throughout the first couple of episodes, and I'm sure into the series. So, um, because she's left this orphanage and she's only seen she hasn't seen the out she hasn't seen the outside world before basically so she's sort of narrating these new experiences that she's had which i suppose is okay but like one of the first things she says when she's um she's talking to this young guy that's sort of similar age to her and one of the first things she says to herself is uh while he's talking to her she says just keep talking pretty boy i don't care what you're talking about i just see lips i want to kiss it's just like oh. imagine if imagine if it was the other way around and it was a male character saying that to a female like, oh, no, no, that's the thing is, yeah yeah but i just think i don't like i don't like this sort of talking to herself thing uh it's weird to self- think how that's gonna how they're gonna maintain that because it's almost like they use that as a plot device to try to bring us up to speed with who she is as a character and you yeah. know what she's experiencing but like when it moves into the later episodes i can't see them maintaining that how how are they going to do that it's going to be really unusual for me yeah i think the other thing as well that i think lets it down a bit is well no it's not it's not too bad but i think the cgi is not fantastic it's it's okay it's fine but it's i think it's more tv cgi than it is film cgi um and yeah as i said the dialogue before is pretty it's pretty bad and Mm. weirdly everyone that she so it's set in spain in parts of spain i think it's uh malaga or around that area but it's every single person that she seems to meet in the street or in a building wherever she is is either english or speaks perfect english yeah yeah and she's in spain right and i think it's just a bit odd like she meets some really sort of like chavvy english guys or you know it's just like, why is everyone English, or why is it, why does everyone speak mm. perfect English? It, you know, there should be at least there's a little bit of spy, uh, Spanish dialogue between a few characters, but only sort of the odd word or two, and it's even like half lines are in Spanish, which is really weird. Like they'll say, I think one of them, like one of the nuns, was saying, "Oh, yeah, I, I found it," and then she says at the end of the line, "I found it within the university campus or something," but then she says the rest of the line in Spanish. It's like, well, why? I yeah. don't know. It's sort of a yeah. bit off-putting, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think, you know, I need to give it another chance. Maybe I'll watch another couple of episodes, but it's not gripped me so far. Mm. Um, I saw one person sum it up quite nicely online, and they said it was Power Rangers meets the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's actually quite accurate. Um, so yeah, I don't know if it's a... If it's going to be a recommend from me, yeah. As I said, it's a bit unfair to judge it on two episodes. Yeah, yeah. And I, so I, so I also watched the two episodes. Um, I think the first one, the pilot, was a lot better than the second. The second one was very dialogue heavy, and I think, as you rightly say, the dialogue wasn't necessarily there, and 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 therefore it, it was tough to follow that second episode. To be honest, there's a lot of you know, big words that they're using and exp- and exploratory, you know, conversations between the characters. I struggled immensely with that, with the second episode. I really mm. loved, um, I really did like the the kind of main uh, performance from Alba Baptista. I think 
She has this phenomenal energy. She kind of reminds me of Ellen Page a little bit. She looks like a kind of young Ellen Page from Juno. Yeah. Um, and, but her, I, I, what I liked about her is that she had this kind of youthful joy. And there were some some scenes in that original episode where, for example, and this is, there are no spoilers here, but um, there's something that we learn about her that she couldn't do before she is um, brought back to life and reanimated basically by this halo. And there's a scene where she's on the beach and she's kind of walking along with like her, her, like, you know, her clothes and her belongings. And it's at nighttime. And then she just starts running along the beach, like, and just enjoying running along the beach and like just moments of like joy from a character that you wouldn't usually see to kind of develop that, that character. Yeah. I, I, I really like that. That kind of stuff I liked. I actually yeah, I think quite like performance. Is good. Yeah. I think her performance was, was, was good. Um, but like to your point around the narration, I don't really know how they're going to maintain it, but I did quite like it because again, I found her very watchable. And um, when the narration is happening, you can kind of see on her face what she's thinking. And I really, I really did like that. There's a scene in the second episode, right at the start when she wakes up in a bed and she's just happy to, to wake up in a different bedroom than the one mm. that she was used to, which is in a convent, which is, um, you know, obviously, you know, managed by these kind of, um, really kind of totalitarian nuns that run this this convent um, who are very, very one note and, and mean. Um, and and I, I, but I really like that scene, you know? So there are little little moments. There was a scene when she goes to her, her old roommate, this young boy called Pablo, I think his name is. Oh, um, that was a bit, yeah. And his, his dialogue, I mean, like you say, there was some pretty heavy dialogue, but he was a... Yeah, I, I don't want to be mean to like child actors, but... Like, mm his performance i don't know just the way he delivered the lines was a bit that's going to be our apple podcast review mean to child actors one star. Um, <laughs> yeah um you know but it was just it wasn't it wasn't a great performance and sometimes you know when you're watching something like that and there's someone in there oh you know ava yeah no i, I yes i he gets asked a question by a, a priest that's kind of tracking down ava and he's like, oh, do you um, do you miss Ava? And he's like, um, no, I don't miss Ava. Oh, yes, no, I do miss Ava. Yes, of course I miss Ava because he knows <laughs> that she's still alive. Yeah, really I, I did. I mean, uh... yeah, I mean, I mean, I did. I, I, I... <laughs> 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 so you know, you can review this podcast as mean to child actors if you if you like, but just just give us five stars. And by the way, I was also mean <laughs> to. Um, uh, Frida Shaw, who starred as Artemis Fowl in Artemis Fowl. Um, so please, you know, feel free to send me an email complaining if you'd like to have a one-on-one conversation about why he was a terrible actor in that show, in that movie. Um, so, but you know what? I, I I feel like the the level of content that we get now, Stranger Things on Netflix, Game of Thrones. I feel like we are we have such high standards because of some absolute standout hits that are dripping in quality. I feel like yeah. if this came out 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, I feel like this would be, I mean, it may still be a huge hit, but I feel like it would be groundbreaking. Do you know what I mean? This yeah. um, mythology world, like religious world, um, you know, a group of, of nuns kicking ass. I feel like it would really it would have really grabbed the zeitgeist at that time. Yeah. I don't know whether now, I feel like now it's, it's almost like it's coming along at a time where 
you know, it could have been a really bad trashy 90s show or it could now be a kind of delayed, like, you know, show that should have come out five years ago. And, yeah, that's the and thing. it may have, it may either be too soon or too late, or I don't know. But on two episodes, I, I definitely can't make my mind up. I can tell you, I'm not going to watch another episode. I did really <laughs> enjoy the pilot. I did not enjoy the second episode no. whatsoever. It, to be fair, um, it was meant to be, it was being penned, like it was being put together as a, as a movie. Um, but then I think that sort of fell apart and Netflix picked it up as a, as a series. So, I mean, I, I think it works. I think it could work well as a series and we, and I, and you know, it'd be interesting to see where it goes. And, but for me, I, this is, this isn't, I don't think this has been made for me personally. No. Um, so for me, it's, it's a miss. Fair enough. So this week we are joined by an up and coming American based actor who started out as a child actor on a WCW commercial. He then became a background artist in later years before being spotted as a stand-in for some of Hollywood's biggest stars on such projects as Marvel's Black Panther and Netflix's Ozark. Please welcome Jeff Gann to the Movie Mouth podcast. Hi, Jeff. Hey, what's up? Hey, Jeff. Hey, all nice is good. So where does this crazy world find you in today? Uh, sitting in my room debating what to do later on, such as playing Xbox or playing drums. And that's about the <laughs> biggest decisions of my day at this point you could play um you could play guitar hero like the world tour and then you could play both so it'd be like playing your xbox and the drums at the same time that's true that's true <laughs> but I, pr I prefer to get down on the real skins i've been playing for 20 years yeah. <laughs> that's very cool whereabouts are you based chattanooga tennessee beautiful and, yeah beautiful. samuel L. jackson's stomping ground oh hometown hero hell yeah Bad for now, until until you get that big starring role. <laughs> so, Jeff, tell us a little bit about your your career. How did you get started in the acting world? Well, the first opportunity came from my dad, actually, him being a pro wrestler in WCW. Uh, it's not anything I sought after or anything. I, I was literally just playing some PlayStation and. My dad walked in and said, hey, they need some kids for this WCW commercial. You want to do it? I'm like, yeah, why not? <laughs> and, that <was> about, <laughs> and that was about the extent of like seeking, seeking it out. Then uh, about six months passed, and then we shot it at this random little playground in Atlanta. And then a few months later, it aired on TBS. I didn't tell anyone I was doing it, like none of my friends. So like when I went back to school, they were like, what the hell were you doing on WCW? We know your dad. What the hell were you doing on there? I was like, I don't know. Uh, they just called me in <laughs> to do this little promo. But when we got there, uh, they told us they told us initially that I don't know if you've seen it, but I've sent you the the link to the little promo. It's for Dave Sullivan. Like when he was wrestling in WCW and they had mm. him, uh, they were running this angle where he was like Hulk Hogan's number one Hulkamaniac or some goofy shit. And uh, so they actually used his kids. It, it, there are four kids in the video, it, his two kids and me and my sister. So uh, they had us lined up in this playground and they said, okay, we need like one kid that's going to do most of the talking. 
to Dave and, you know, just like coaching him along, like, come on, you can do it. We believe in you, all this kind of shit, you know? <laughs> and so like, as a joke, just to be like, you know, I was a young smart ass. I was like, Oh, you mean like this? Come on, Dave, you can do it. We believe in you, you know, just making fun of it, you know, not taking it seriously yeah. whatsoever. So they're like, yeah. they're like, that's it. That's exactly what we need. Okay. Point, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, You're okay. taking direction at such a young age. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And that was before the film uh, industry started popping off in Atlanta. You know, it's basically only like WCW and the random occasional film in Georgia. But now it's, I mean, there are more movies made in Georgia than Hollywood. Right. So, so uh, that aired in 95. And then I led a normal life. You know, w WCW folded in like 01. And, you know, the biggest names were out of a job, you know, like... Bret Hart and Hulk Hogan and some of those guys like weren't even really doing stuff that much after WCW folded. You know, they did the oddball WWE job, but nothing really beyond that, you know, because mm, sure. they kind of kicked the WCW guys to the curb. They're like, get the hell out of here. We're just going to pay you for your contracts and then we're kicking you out. You know, Vince McMahon bought his competition just to be an asshole. <laughs> and he could. <laughs> and he could. I and mean, he's a genius businessman. So anyway. Your dad was a wrestler. Is that right? Yeah. He was the gambler in WCW. Yeah. Oh, and, right on. Cool. And then, uh, you know, I led a very normal life, you know, uh, after that TV appearance in 95, I didn't do anything, you know, in, in the inter entertainment field whatsoever. I wanted to be a drummer in a rock band like I, So I started playing drums and I, I've been obsessed with drums for years and that's what I wanted to do. But then given the whole like digital age that we live in, you know, yeah, making money in the music industry is very difficult very difficult like you know mm -hmm. you, you have to do a lot of work and get a lot of notoriety before you even begin making a few dollars like it sure you know it's not like it was back in the day hey sell some cds and some merch and go on tour no 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 it's a different ball game you know so uh yeah so i just worked normal jobs you know i, I worked for a roofer i worked for an electrician i worked at a gym i worked in hotels i worked at an m, &M factory like where they make M&Ms and Twix bars. And I'll tell you, one of the best things I ever had in my life, one of the best snacks is a Twix bar on the assembly line before they put the chocolate on it. Ooh, damn, that's some good shit. Oh, it's great. Just, well, the, so biscuit just the biscuit and caramel. Yeah, 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 before the chocolate goes on. Yeah, I, I tried it, you know, and it, it was awesome. So anyway, it's a revelation. Oh, it was, it was kick ass going in, going in that place. Stoned is just like a nightmare. Cause you're just constantly, constantly like snacking on shit. Like, uh, so if some, if, if some guy opened their Twix wrapper and they found, uh, just a chocolate bar, solid piece of chocolate without the biscuit and the, the caramel inside, that was your fault, Jeff. That's what I'm hearing. Hell yeah, it was especially. Yeah. If you got it around <laughs> like late 2008 or early 2009, blame me that happened. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, so I worked like normal jobs. Then I went to work at Amazon a couple of years after that. And um, I worked there probably like six or seven months, saved up some money. And I just got, I just got sick of it. I mean, Amazon is a tough mm -hmm. place to work. And I was just like, you know what, the hell with this place, I quit. But uh, shortly before I quit, uh, I went to the gas station. And I saw this like newspaper article and like the newspaper bin uh about a movie coming to chattanooga tennessee it was a movie about jackie robinson starring harrison ford coming to chattanooga and i'm like what the hell that's pretty random that would be kick-ass to be able to work on that movie but you know 
it seemed so so far out of the realm of possibility for that to even happen you know like how the fuck am i just going to go from amazon to working on this movie that'll never happen you know cool <laughs> cool thought that'll never happen so anyway uh shortly that shortly thereafter i quit my job at amazon i just walk out and uh about a week later i, I hear that they're doing a casting call at a local mall for that movie 442 so i just went to the casting call and got hired as an extra and once I got on that that set, I was just like, oh, man, this is the, my opportunity to learn all the things I've ever wanted to learn about movies. Because, you know, I grew up obs obsessed with film. I studied film. Like, I, I watched all the behind-the-scenes commentaries that I could, all the behind-the-scenes featurettes, like, obsessed with movies. Like, oh, how did they build that set? Oh, how did they do those special effects? Oh, that's a matte painting? Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. You know, anything about the art of film I, I was just obsessed with. Just like drumming, I'm obsessed with both of them. But anyway, uh, so I got on that set, and I started meeting people I never thought I would meet. I mean, I met the guy that created the Disney Home Video Collection. Like, you know that thing that all of her little sisters mm -hmm. had? The Disney Home Video yeah, Collection. Yeah. I'm, I met the guy that created that damn thing. He created it. He was the, for <laughs> he was the former uh, VP of Disney or CEO before uh, Bob Iger. His name was Dick Cook. Mm -hmm. He was one of the executive producers yep. on the movie. I met Thomas Toll the owner of legendary pictures, like, you know, that legendary pictures logo that like yeah. pops up before yeah. the dark night. Yeah. The guy that owns yeah. that, that guy met him. I was like, what the hell? Like I'm meeting all these crazy people. Uh, met Chad, <laughs> Chad Bozeman on that movie. And course, then uh, who later became black Panther. Of course. Exactly. Exactly. And then, uh, you know, I worked on that movie for two weeks and on, on that movie, I learned that, uh, not many movies were going to come to Tennessee. I got to talking to all the crew guys I could, just trying to figure out anything about like how to work on movies on the regular. So I was like, this is such a cool experience. I don't want this to be a one and done. I want to do yeah. this shit like over and over again. This is kick ass. This is like a theme park, like Harrison Ford's right over there, like sitting right <laughs> over there. Like, <laughs> uh, so um, I got to talking to the guys. They said, uh, the Atlanta film industry is about to explode. So if you want to work on these movies, they're not going to come to Chattanooga. You're going to have to go to Atlanta. So that's what I did over the next four years. I tried to be an extra in anything I could. So I, I was an extra in like 15 or 16 movies and a few TV shows. And I did that for years. You know, I worked on uh, Hunger Games, worked on Let's Be Cops. I worked on Captain America, Captain America Civil War as a background extra. I worked on Spider-Man Homecoming as an extra. Yeah. Uh, random movies i worked on this cool movie that not many people know about called Indubious battle with james franco and robert duvall and selena gomez and um so I, I just worked on all the films that i could just to watch crews and actors and see how they do their job you know how do actors prepare for a scene how like what do they do if shit doesn't go according to plan how to not act around people on set, you know, just anything I could to try to. Yeah, just it, yeah, it, like the practices of a film set, basically. basically you know, sort of what what goes on. Yeah, exactly. I looked at it as a film school, but I'm just like, holy sure. shit! I'm not in a classroom. I'm sitting here with that's the most Robert Duvall right now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's the most practical film school you can get. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I would, I would, I would be on that set, and Robert Duvall would be telling stories about filming The Godfather, and I'm just like, what fucking film school is going to give me this insight? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah exactly so then uh so what, oh, go ahead sorry 
No, I was going to say, so what, how did you go from um, the background artist role and sort of, you know, because you did quite, you've done quite a, a big list of those, but how did you go from that role to being a, a stand-in sort of, which is what you've done more recently, isn't it? Oh, it's just one of the things that was completely out of my control. It was, uh, it was spawned through a text message that I got from one of the casting directors that I worked with quite often uh or worked for as as a background extra uh she just sent me a text saying hey do you want to be a stand-in on jason bateman's new netflix series ozark of course i do so uh, i worked on that for a few days and then i got another text from her saying hey would you like to be a stand-in on black panther i want you to go in and meet the people of marvel perhaps use you as a stand-in for martin freeman or andy circus and i'm like absolutely (laughs) of course of course i want to go be a part of this but on something that big uh on a marvel movie they won't even they won't even look at you if you have never been a stand-in before in your life they're not going to give you that job if you had never done it before because okay. on a movie of that size, like Black Panther, they had a budget of two hundred million, and I think they, I think the average that they run through is about a hundred thousand dollars an hour. So, needless to say, they want you on your A game. They don't want someone yeah. standing there asking questions, not knowing what the hell's going on. Sure. So, uh, I worked, like I said, I worked for like three or four days on Ozark and got the text to go meet the people from Marvel, and. Uh, you know, to meet their qualifications, I had only worked as an extra for like a few days before that. <laughs> so like all basically within a week or week and a half period, I went from never being a stand in to being a stand in for a couple of days on Ozark. And now all of a sudden I'm meeting the people from Marvel to be a stand in on Black Panther. I was just like, damn, this is a crazy couple of weeks. Yeah, that moves pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just like, damn, what the hell? So uh, I went in to meet the people of Marvel. And uh, I got the job. I got the job. They said, okay, we want you to be Martin Freeman's stand-in. And uh, I started working on Black Panther during pre-production, actually. Like, they weren't even shooting. I was working on the movie in late 2016, probably October. So I would shoot back and forth between Ozark and Black Panther during uh, Black Panther's pre-production stage. Okay. So, uh, you know, some days I'll be on Black Panther, some days I'll be on Ozark. But once principal photography mainly geared up for Black Panther, I was only working on Black Panther. You know, like Ozark right. was kind of put on the side more because they needed me for that movie. And, you know, the casting director, apparently, she said, like, I, if you can look everywhere, you're not going to find a closer match for Martin Freeman than Jeff. You're just not going to. She's like, the same height. They have the same kind of ears, like, you know, the same kind of nose. Like, he looks like him, you know. And p- actually, people on the set told us that. A lot of people thought we were related. <laughs> uh, like, one thing that was kind of cool that happened, uh, we were at the rat party after we finished the movie. And I was standing there talking to Martin Freeman, and uh, this girl walked up and said, Martin, what are you working on next? And he looked at her and said, oh, I'm actually going to be Jeff's stand-in on his next project. <laughs> I just thought it was the funniest <laughs> shit. I was like, this That's dude's awesome. hilarious. Yeah, he's so cool, man. He's down to earth. Like, during the movie, like, we would go to parties. Like, I would, you know, be at the club drinking with Martin Freeman, partying, like, with he and some of the other people from Black Panther. You know, Shuri, Okoye, you know, a lot of the Dora Milaje, uh, M'Baku, 
you know, of course, Chad, the Black Panther himself, like, you know, they would rent out clubs and we would just go to these parties while we were filming the movie. And yeah, it was, it was just awesome. I was like, I'm partying with, sounds good. Well, I'm partying with Avengers. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely but, uh, amazing. Oh yeah. Oh, it's really cool. Some of the coolest moments of my life. But, uh, the work was equally awesome because I learned so much about, you know, what a stand in does. Uh, you know, it's completely different than being a background extra. Whereas when you're not needed, they say, all right, extras, you know, back to holding. And then you're just sitting in a tent, keeping yourself occupied until you're needed on set again. Whereas as a stand in, you know, I have to be very aware of what's going on in the scene. I have to walk where the actor walks. I have to, uh, you know, be at the right place at the right time, along with the camera movements uh, you know, preferably the directors like it if you know the dialogue. You know, it shows that, you know, hey, you're, he's actually taking the time to memorize this. And, you know, Ryan from Black Panther really loved that. Mm. And mm. if, you know, during pre-production, like there are a lot of photos, like when we were doing pre-production, there are a lot of photos that he has on his phone of me, like giving the pre-production ideas of what the scene's going to look like. Like when so Killmonger kind of picking out the shot and like figuring out the angles and everything. Exactly. Like when Killmonger dies, like, you mm. know, him like dying right there, who, you know, who was in the pre-production photos on the director's phone. That was this guy. That was him standing <laughs> in for Killmonger. Like when they were like this before they even started filming the movie, like on pre-production, I learned about Stanley's cameo. Uh, they were still organizing the fights when I was working on the movie. Like none of that was set in stone yet. Like I watched the movie go from pre-production to like basically the finished product. Um, but learning lines, you know, isn't the easiest thing, especially on that movie. If you notice all the scenes that Martin is in, notice his character is the one doing most of the talking. Yeah. He's he very is expositional, based, isn't he? In that, that's in that, exactly in that what movie. he is. He's seeing mm-hmm. like he is the audience. You're experiencing yeah. Wakanda through his eyes. So he ex- is exactly like doing just what you said, you know, being the exposition mm-hmm. for the audience, explaining what is going on. And if, you know, I would get to set and they'd be like, okay, here's today's lines. And I would look and just, damn, this he's got like three or four paragraphs of shit <laughs> I got to memorize. And the other people are just saying like, okay, Agent Ross, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, so it was a lot to take in, but I got really good at it really quickly. I looked at it like memorizing lyrics for a song or drum parts for a song. Like I was used to memorizing stuff on the regular. So, right. Right. So I would I would get down there the way it would work. I would arrive to set. I would get a bite to eat. Then one of the PAs would walk up to me and say, "Okay, here are the sides for today." And that you know, here's all the information. Mm. Shows what time every actor is arriving to set. What time they're going to hair and makeup. Who all is on set that day. Cast and crew, and all the lines. You know, for the actors in the scene. So I would sit there for like 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes, and just study the lines. And then they would say, uh, a marking rehearsal. And what that means is all the main heads of every crew, like lighting, camera, and especially the stand-ins, it's what they call second team. They call the actors mm-hmm. first team and the stand-ins second team. So when they yell marking rehearsal, I go to the set and I watch the actors do the scene. You know, they've already rehearsed how they want to do it. So we all watch the marking rehearsal. And I have to be very aware, very, very aware, basically. I can't stress that enough of where he is going, what hand he is lifting, 
is is he pointing with his left hand is his right foot kicked out to the side who is he looking at when he says this line you know you know is, is he this far ahead of the camera at this point you know basically i have to do an exact copy of what he did and is this because yeah. you're blocking the scene or you're you're this is, there are different angles being filmed and maybe we'll see you in in other shots in the movie i mean what, what's the the differences there well that that's all that's all the blocking stages like uh we're like you know we're setting up the first shot you know a scene will be filmed from di many different angles basically mm. and for each one of those different camera setups that you see like you know different camera angles like the lighting has completely been torn down and reset up for each specific angle. It's not like they set up the lighting once in every and angle then, and then film and, it five times. And then film, right. Yeah. No, right. they tear the lights down and reset it up for every angle. So everything is lit properly. Right. So, yeah. So there's a lot more involved than what people think. A lot of people think, oh, they just set up the lights and the camera and they just do it a bunch of times. No, they set all that up, then tear it down, then reset it up to make it look just as good, you know, for the, the other angle. Right. It, you know, like one scene that has a couple paragraphs of dialogue could take four hours to film. From you know, multiple angles and multiple, multiple aspects. Angles. And I guess that's why they don't bring the like the A-list cast mm. onto set to have to go through the motions every time. In many cases, they'll they'll reserve them for the face the face shots. Well, yeah, yeah. They uh yeah, they do the marking rehearsal once, and then other than the filming, it's us, second team, mm -hmm. that's doing. Like, so, like, we're walking, like, when they change the setup for the lights and the cameras, the stand-ins come on set and do the scene just like the actors did. And the actors mm -hmm. off chilling and hair and makeup or doing whatever the hell. So, yeah, they do their marking rehearsal and the acting. And the stand-ins do the scenes for the different cam camera and lighting setups in between. Mm -hmm. So... So whenever we're set up for the next camera angle, everything is set up and they just bring the actors right back to do the scene all over again. So they're not they're they're not just standing there while they're having to reset it, you know, all the lights and shit. And what were the what were the big scenes in in Black Panther that you remember being being a part of? The everyone that you see Martin Freeman, uh I stood in for Andy Circus one day, the scene where what uh Killmonger brings Claw back to Wakanda. Yeah, and he shows them that they have the body of Claw, and he opens mm -hmm. the bag, and you see Claw's face. I was Andy Serkis's stand-in for that particular shot because uh, I think by then uh, Andy Serkis's stand-in was already working on Avengers, so he went on to be Mark Ruffalo's stand-in on Avengers. So right. for, yeah. for the end of Black Panther, they had me like doing a little bit of Claw's shots while doing Martin's shots. So uh, that's interesting. So basically, you've you've basically doubled as two Brits, but you're not actually a Brit at all. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> maybe you are somewhere. Maybe there's somewhere <laughs> in your lineage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. So when you're when you're um, when you're doing the obviously standing in, are you in full like duplicate costume as well? No, no, no. I would just wear clothes of the same color. You okay, know, so I they get a reference for colors. I was just thinking, you know, do they need a cert, like they need you to wear the same so they get the right reference for colors or for the lighting or whatever? But yeah, the color is that, very important. Yeah, the color is. Yeah. And, and me being the same height as the actor is pretty, you know, for shadows because, sure. you know, if the actor's 5'9 and I'm 5'6, well, clearly there's going to be like a, uh, like 
maybe his head is at a frame when they lined the mm. shot up on me because I'm shorter, you know, stuff like that. So yeah, I yeah. don't have to. I don't have to be in exactly the same wardrobe. Like I don't have to be in a suit like he is. I just need to be in right. the same color. Mm. Right. So that's how that works for the. I guess the camera department. Yeah, they don't need now. Now the stunt guys obviously are in the exact same wardrobe. You know, because you know clearly they have to look just like the actor on on screen. But the stand-ins, nah, just wear comfortable clothes that are that are the same color. Basically, that's interesting. Okay. Well, you've obviously been part of you know lots of different types of productions, from historical dramas to comic book epics, um, television serials. You know, what's the difference between filming um, TV and movies? Like, what from your experience? How, how different is that experience? I would have to say that the TV world is uh, probably faster paced. They have more camera setups. I mean, this is just from what I've gathered and what I've witnessed that uh, the TV shows tend to do more setups and more camera angles throughout the day, basically trying to shoot. I, I don't know. They just seem to, to do more, whereas the film is not, not, not slower, I want to say necessarily, but I guess for certain scenes, they're more willing to take time on certain things. Whereas it seems like in the TV world, they're just like, Oh, we got it. Okay, good. On to the next, on to the next thing. It seems like quicker paced and I'm sure budget dictates that a lot, you know, cause you know, for a $200 million movie, they kind of have the time to get it right. Not saying they're just going to dick around to eat up money, but they want to take the time to get it right. Whereas a movie that probably has the budget of 15 or 20 million, they're like, all right, that's good enough because we got to get on to the next shot because we don't have the money to keep paying for all these people. You know, yeah. I mean, like it, I'm sure budget is a big part of that. But uh, TV just seems to be quicker. Like it, being a TV actor seems pretty difficult. Like the Ozark crew, like the, or the cast. Man, they can pound through some dialogue. I've watched Laura Linney just deliver pages of dialogue, and I'm just like, damn. Like some things that didn't even make it into the final version. You know, some things they filmed and just didn't even use, but nonetheless, pages of dialogue. And I mean, she's classically trained. I think she's either been nominated for a Tony or maybe has one or something, but she comes from the Broadway world. Like she can memorize that kind of shit is nothing to her. Yeah, she, yeah, second yeah. nature, isn't it? By second the time they've done it for Broadway. Yeah. Complete pro. She's a complete pro. And Jason Bateman is a master. Like it his his directing chops are just just perfect. I think some of the best episodes like has his directing. And I would say that uh there's a camera guy that they let direct a few episodes na- named Ben Simonoff, and he's a great camera guy. Uh he did some great classic shows. Like, you know the movie Creed? Uh, mm-hmm. He was he was the camera guy on Creed, and he went on to do the camera work on uh, Ozark, and now he directs a few of the episodes. But like that one scene in particular in Creed, like that one like fifteen minute take or whatever, that one fight that is all just one take, like that's him, that's him doing it. And he went on to direct a few episodes of Ozark. So just watching the best in you know some of the best people in the world, like on their A game. You know, I'm not watching film students throw together some independent project i'm watching some of the prestige talent of the world 
Yeah, you're watching yeah, the pros. Yeah, yeah, I'm watching. I'm watching the real deal happen. So I'm just constantly taking notes and watching everything and trying to take everything in like a sponge. Must be nice to see it from that sort of perspective where you are viewing all uh, aspects of it. You know, you're seeing every, yeah, every aspect of the of the filming. Every um, aspect. Yeah. So. And then if we talk about actors who you were saying about, you know, a lot of the stuff that's inspiring you, who as an actor inspires you um, that, you know, that you'd like to, or you'd like to work with? Um, probably my biggest is like Jack Nicholson, but I, I don't, I think he's retired. I don't think I'll ever get a chance to like see him act. Uh, but uh, people that inspired me, he was one of them. Uh, when I was younger, like I was a huge fan of a, uh, well, still am, but you know, like Kurt Russell, like Big Trouble in Little China, you know, yeah. you know, uh, just all, all the the John Carpenter films that he did. I, I loved all those movies. You know, mm. The Thing, Escape yeah. from New York, you know, stuff like that. Then uh, I don't. I, I was actually a big fan of a lot of the uh, unknown actors, a lot of the supporting actors. You know, everybody's going to say. Oh, of course, you know, Jack Nicholson, Clint Eastwood, Robert De Niro, Joe Pett, you know, the great leading men of our time. Mm. But I was also blown away by some of the great supporting actors that were kind of unsung, like the Harry Dean Stantons, the Robert Proskys, yeah. the James Coburns, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the people like that, you know, the kind of side actor, the, the Taylor Negron uh miguel ferrer i'm probably saying names you're like who the hell is this guy but no like some great supporting actors like i also looked at them too like of course everybody names the the stars but i i never tried to un undervalue the great supporting roles of our time too and no yeah you know there's because there have been some great the bruce derns you know uh the, the list goes on and on uh robert's blossom you know if you know who that is um mm-hmm. Some, and speaking some about that list, you know, obviously, you know, you're talking about a lot of, a lot of movies, a lot of directors, and and a lot of a lot of favorite work of yours. But what would you say is your favorite movie of all time? It's a hard one, mm, almost impossible. To... But if mm, I pull I the have... loaded gun on you right now, Jeff, <laughs> before you blow me away, of course, mm. <laughs> um, what would be your favorite movie of all time? Jaws. Wow. Yeah. Jaws. Just just the way. Yeah, yeah. It, he was the one where, like, he and John Carpenter were some of the first directors to inspire me. Because I, I want to do more than just act. Mm-hmm. I would like to go on to write and direct. Like, I don't want to be just in front of the camera. I would like to go on to make some great movies. You know, yeah. like, you know, I, I don't want to just be in front of the camera at all. But Spielberg and John Carpenter were some of the early director influences, I, I, I would say. And then I went on to study... You know, the people before that, you know, the Hitchcocks, you know, the Sam Peckinpahs, you know, the, mm-hmm. the people before that. You know, I tried to take in a history, try to take in the full history of film. Like sometimes I get on movie sets and I'll spit out like random trivia facts. And the people that work on these movies have told me that I know too much about movies. <laughs> and they'll, they'll be like, how the hell did you know that? Like, oh, it was on this behind the scenes featurette that came on the VHS in 1999. Like what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you yeah, if you like, if you bought the special edition, you'd know about that. Yeah, you know, the, <laughs> you know, I was studying all this shit way before the era of YouTube, way before it was just easily accessible. But like, oh, behind the scenes on They Live, and I can just pull it up. Whereas in you know the '90s and early 2000s, coming across 
things like that weren't just easy. You couldn't just no, type, right. yeah. type it in. You had to seek it out. If you wanted this knowledge, you yeah. had to purposely seek it out. Like you couldn't just have access you had to, to it. I remember like buying the, you know, when, when big films came out that I loved, you used to buy the the movie, like the guidebook, you know, so I had the, like the Jurassic Park one and it was the oh. behind the scenes book. Of and, course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've got loads of books from like Saving Private Ryan and yeah. Titanic and all of those films where it's like, you know, they got those lovely photographs in it as well. And but oh, they go yeah. through the behind the scenes. I loved all that stuff, but you don't see that as much anymore. But as you said, because we've got, you know, I know you can still get behind the scenes on the Blu-rays and things, but yeah, seeing yes. it in physical form is becoming more rare. Definitely. Yeah. But you still can see all of it, but you just don't see it so much in physical media. But yeah, so like I was obsessed with that stuff. So then the opportunity to work on movies, like I didn't care. I was making just piss poor money in the beginning. And, you know, as a stand in, I'm not paid extremely well by any means. You know, <laughs> I make as yeah, much, yeah. As, you know, it, like the average Amazon worker, except I'm just on a movie set, you know? So it's not like it's I'm, a bit, it's a bit cooler than working for Amazon. Exactly. Exactly. And I look at it like, you know, as a film school, I looked at it as my university being on these sets, watching these actors. And a lot of people say like, well, do you really plan on doing something like that? So, I mean, I'm, I'm credited in black Panther. So yeah, I'd probably say I, I'm kind of serious about it. You know, that opportunity wasn't just given to me like if I didn't show, you know, wanting it. Like the only reason she gave me that shot, like I sent in my resume to her a long time ago. They had a a background casting call for some movie. I forget what the hell it was, but they needed someone with a long resume. So I sent in my resume and showed her all the films I'd been a part of, you know. And uh, so when the Black Panther job came along and i was a perfect match for martin like she was like okay this kid's been on a lot of sets well, not kid but she was like he he knows what not to do on a set he know you know like how to not talk yeah. to how to get kicked off a set he knows how to behave uh so she gave me that shot you know to be on yeah, black panther you, and, and she and without ozark the black panther job wouldn't have happened so you got to take those opportunities when they come up yeah, 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 money, money be damned. I just wanted to be a part of it. You know, luckily I had, I was in a, I had a situation where I wasn't going to be kicked out. I wasn't, wasn't having to worry about like pressing bills, like a car payment, or I don't have children yeah. to provide for. So I was just lucky to have those opportunities and I wanted to seize them. I didn't just want to be on my deathbed thinking, damn, what if? What if, yeah, what that's if? right. Because, you know, this, this life is short, man. If you die on your 75th birthday, you have only lived 27,375 days. That's not a lot. <laughs> He's thought about that. <laughs> that's not a lot, man. <laughs> no, that's true. Think about it's that. It's true. Average life <laughs> is about 27,000 days. Yeah. That's not a lot, man. And each one that goes by, man, you're not getting it back. That's right. <laughs> well... So talking about making the most of it then. So what comes next for you? What are you, what are you working on or, you know, what, have you got anything in the pipeline? Yeah. What do you want to move up with? I have uh, four movies that I've worked on that haven't even come out yet, you know, as a stand in. Uh, One of them is coming to Netflix. One of them is going to HBO. Uh, The other one's supposed to hit theaters. Well, actually two of them are supposed to hit theaters, but, uh, but in the meantime, uh, I want to start, uh, perhaps 
shooting and making my own movies because working on Ozark, I, I got to talking to some of the producers and they were saying that they're starting to look at independent filmmakers that, that are making their own stuff and that people like because it's a different world today than it was in like 2000. If you wanted to make a movie that looked and sounded good, you had to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. You had the lighting, yeah. the cameras, you know, like in order to make a professional looking film or even a short film, you had to spend some serious cheddar. Whereas today, the technology has advanced so much that you could make some, something very professional for twenty or $50,000. If you have the right cameras and, you know, good lighting and you can tell a story, you can make a pretty professional looking project for about a tenth of the cost that it would have 20 years ago. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's I interesting mean, you say that, Jeff, because we're actually, I actually today saw on Netflix that they released a uh, filmed in quarantine section on uh, Netflix, which has mm -hmm. a number of homemade um, or independent films that have been made during this, this time of quarantine in 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, so actually, you know, obviously you say from 2000 to, you know, recently when you're filming Ozark, but also, you know, within the last few months, I think that's, that's also changed. And there's, you know, even more of a potentially, even more of an opportunity to, um, to kind of get con to get content out there. Oh yeah. Um, and, and the need for content is expanding as well, because it, right. even if, if movie theaters shut down, streaming services are booming baby and they need content. Yeah. Right. Right. So I think, you know, I think just one last question, and this is one that we like to ask people in the movie trade or in the, in, in the entertainment industry um, as we finish the, the interview. And it's really about, you know, what you've learned um, as part of your, your career moving into, of course, the, the stand in role that, that you've been doing recently. Um, what advice can you give to our listeners who are interested in moving, moving into the, in the, into the entertainment is, industry? And what have you learned that would really help them to to maybe jump forward a few steps to the point where where you are today? Uh, well, hell, I'm not even that far, <laughs> but it's been a cool journey so far. Uh, learn who is full of shit and who is not. Learn who can provide real opportunities and who cannot. Like, don't get caught up uh, in those like fake scams, like. Uh, Send us a headshot and your credit card information and you'll be on a movie set in no time. <laughs> you know, those kind yeah. of fake thing, those fake scams. Like, uh, start working as an extra. Don't be afraid to work for pennies. Like, cause you're going to gain education. You know, knowledge, knowledge is priceless. So I was willing so, to take low pay for expanding my knowledge on something that I loved. Uh, learn how to get an agent. Uh, that that's when learn which agents can help you and who is a scam. Uh, if if you go to meet up with an agent and the first thing they talk about is money, like a credible agent does not get paid until you get paid, is how mm -hmm. that works. So if you walk into an agent, give me five hundred dollars, you know, no, that just walk out right there. Like learn who is credible, research their career. You know, in today's age, you, it's relatively easy to see who's full of shit and not. I mean, you have all this information, cap, you know, like research capabilities like, at your fingertips. So it's easy to find out like, oh, this agent signed this person. Oh, this person got acting work through this agent. It's pretty easy to spot who's real and who's not. But yeah. uh, 
learn when to seize opportunities. Like if you're in a, in, in a situation where you can, you know, not everybody can, like if you have kids and, you know, a lot of financial obligations, like a big house payment or car payment, it, it can be hard to pursue these things because you're having to be at a regular job to pay for the things that you, you know, you have like your car or house or whatever. But, uh, don't be afraid to write stuff, film stuff, put it online. Don't be afraid to put it out there. You know, don't, don't be afraid of the comment section. Don't be afraid of some dude like, Oh, this sucks. You suck. You know, don't be afraid of that. Take that as feedback. Well, what didn't they like about it? Learn from yeah. it. Don't be afraid to put your stuff out there. Uh, learn who can really provide opportunities. Learn who is credible and who isn't. And uh, just well, one thing that the industry is faced with today, you know, during the time of quarantine is, you know, everybody is just at home watching stuff. Not many people are going to the theater. So that means like, streaming services like netflix and amazon like they need more content so like there are going to be more opportunities for up-and-coming writers and directors whereas if it was just a theater world you know a mainstream blockbuster only you know kind of level project only getting made it'd be limited opportunities but today yeah. with all the streaming services you have movies and projects that have that range in budgets of a few thousand to several hundred million. So today there are more opportunities than ever in all reality to get something yeah. written or produced. Like not saying it's going to be easy, but in all reality there we're outside of the just big studio system that existed. Whereas it was only a few studios that controlled everything. And if you weren't oh, yeah. in that club, your shit wasn't getting made. Whereas today you can blow up on YouTube and somebody could give you a shot and be like, damn, this kid has some, has some chops. Let's give him a shot. You, uh, you know, don't be afraid to send out, uh, your ideas to people, uh, on Twitter. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's so much easier to get stuff out there now. I think yeah. it's just, you know, as I said, I think that's some great advice. It's, it's not being scared to share it, to get yourself out there and get yourself seen and heard. So no, I think that's some really, really good advice. I'm sorry if I've gone off on a tangent or anything. No, it's I, fine. I, I kinda, I'm sorry about Hey, about we asked you for the information. We asked you for the information. We're yeah, writing I'm everything sorry. down. Don't worry, we're writing everything down. <laughs> we're making notes. Yeah. Uh, so with that, Jeff, I think we're going to wrap it up, but we just want to say, you know, thanks very much for your time and your insight into the industry. And it's great to, to hear, you know, as I said, what we're trying to do with the podcast is get all those different views from within the industry and it's great to hear from someone from your field so yeah thanks Absolutely. very much for your time oh thanks thank for joining you the movie mouth podcast jeff it's been a pleasure boys okay so it's time for our video store corner and this week we have the absolute stone cold classic the young dumb fuller come 1991 <laughs> Catherine Bigelow blockbuster movie produced by none other than Sir James, a.k.a. Jim Cameron. It is, of course, Point Break. Point Phil. Break. Point bloody break. Phil, 
Give us the plot. The plot. So the plot is uh, about a former um, quarterback and rookie FBI agent, Johnny Utah, uh, played by Keanu Reeves. Um, And he gets a new job assisting... uh, What's his name? And Angelo Pappas, who played by Gary Boosie, who's another FBI agent. Pappas, man. So they're investigating uh, a string of bank robberies uh, by a group called the Ex Presidents, uh, who mm. they basically rob banks and places dr- dressed in uh, masks of ex presidents, rubber masks of ex presidents' faces on them. Um, yeah, so it's just about that's the premise. It's it's Keanu Reeves as a rookie agent teaming up with Gary Boosie to try and hunt down uh, this gang of robbers, which they suspect through some uh, excellent detective work are possibly inver- involved in the surfing scene, the local surfing scene. I think you could do better than that. And I'm going to, I'm going to take a stab at doing even better than that. Um, So for me, the synopsis of this movie is a terrible and arrogant young FBI agent played by none other than Keanu Reeves decides to go undercover with a group of criminals. Leader of which played by Patrick Swayze, who are also part-time surfers said FBI agent becomes more interested in surfing and skydiving with his new man crush, also played by (laughs) Patrick Swayze, um, to the point wherein not only does he forget about his policing work or his agent work, um, can't even wake up to go to the bust of his uh, planning that he's made on on a group of criminals, Um, but so much so that he not only gives up all of the people that are killed by this group, he cares not about the fact his girlfriend gets abducted by the group, kidnapped and threatened with murder. Even the fact that Angelo Pappas, our very favourite, lovable partner of his, gets brutally shotgunned to death. (laughs) Ultimately captures said man crush and then Let's him go. <laughs> At the end of the I movie, mean, yeah, it's true. Uh, this this is a story about this is a story about unhealthy relationships. This is a story <laughs> about unhealthy relationships. I basically, Patrick Swayze was this like egotistical, like you know, self confident guy. Keanu Reeves comes in, he's arrogant, blah, 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 blah. But he falls in love with Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze shows him all these new things. He broadens the horizons of this poor Midwestern boy, you know, all-star quarterback, apple Yuppie. pie eating. Yuppie. Yuppies can serve too, dude. <laughs> um, and they fall in love. And ultimately, when Patrick Swayze doesn't repay the love, Keanu Reeves gets upset. And uh, they end up parting ways in a horrific way but Keanu Reeves just can't forget him. And when he then captures him in handcuffs on a beach, he lets Patrick Swayze go. 
I, I can't be locked up in a cage, man. I, I, I can go, just let me go surfing this one last time, man. It's the only storm in 15 years. <laughs> okay, dude, go for it. Unlocks his handcuffs, off Swayze goes, and he disappears into the salty, salty brine. I mean, I let think me that's ask better, you. Should we put that, that on the back of the DVD? What do you think? Yeah, that is better than what I said, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, you've just bought the whole thing for anyone that's not seen it, but... <laughs> Uh, if you I haven't seen not, it since 1991, tra- don't listen to the podcast. <laughs> I mean, you've had, to be fair, you have had a, a good amount of time to do, to watch it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, I think you're right. It's, I think you said earlier to me on the phone, like, is this film really bad or is it really good or is it both? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think it depends on what mood you watch it in. I'll be honest with you. Having just given it that synopsis, I think it's an incredible film. <laughs> I love it. I love this film. Uh, I think it's great. And uh, do you know what makes me laugh as well? Um, those that end scene where uh, Keanu Reeves' character catches up with Patrick Swayze's character. Mm. Uh, I think they are basically well Keanu Reeves comes straight off the set of Bill and Ted like the one that they're filming mm. at the time because yep. his hair completely changes fresh off the I'm set sh- yeah I'm sure that he was filming the second Bill and Ted am I Ted Theodore Logan today director <laughs> or am I Johnny Utah Whoa. I mean he could be the same character at some yeah. points during that yeah. film uh, yeah definitely do you know yeah. did you know uh and I, I'll add this I'm going to add this one in now, but I've got some interesting trivia for you uh, on this film. But did you know that William Defoe was down to play Keanu Reeves' character in this? Is is William Defoe related to Willem Defoe? Sorry, Willem Defoe. Yeah. <laughs> like his brother William. William. They they went for Willem. They got his brother William, and then unfortunately he didn't get a role. <laughs> Shut up, Miles. You can call him Bill. It's fine. Bill Defoe. Bill Defoe. Yeah. Um. I mean, it does have classic lines such as when uh, Canary's character says, oh, "I must be crazy." When they're in the when they're in the water and he's just about to go surfing. Oh, yeah, it's the sexy. By... It's the surfing <laughs> sex scene between him and Bodhi, Patrick Swayze. Oh yeah, his man crush. Uh, and Bodhi says, "So, so yeah." Canary goes, "Oh, I must be crazy." And Bodhi goes, "But are you crazy enough?" <laughs> it's, it's so it's homoerotic. It's unreal. It's so good. And later in the film, when uh, Pappas, Gary Boosie's character, oh, I love says Pappas, to, I love, um, I love it. He's I could a... watch a Pappas movie. Oh yeah, me too. Pappas Begins by Christopher <laughs> Nolan. Pappas Beginning. Jake um, Busey in the Gary Busey role. That'd be amazing. But yeah, there's a scene where he's um, having a shout off with um, Agent Ben Harp, who's like John their... C. McGinley. Yeah, John McGinley. He's like he's oh. like they're playing their absolute twat of a boss. Uh, yeah. at the FBI he's just like always on their ass like doesn't give them any chance never believes in anything they're doing and he's a right arsehole and uh, there's there's a great line where <laughs> Papa says to Gary Boosie says to him he says oh do you want me to tell you something do you want me to tell? he says something like oh do you want me to tell you something like you're gonna uh, you know you're gonna love this and um, John McGinley's character just says go on then astonish me ass face <laughs> I love it. 
and then, then just Gary Busey just twats him in the down. face. Yeah, oh, he just hits. I him, love yeah. that. He Gary Busey's got some fucking amazing lines. Gary Busey's MVP in this automatically for me. Um, yeah, there's a scene where at the start, for no apparent reason, Gary Busey as an FBI agent is having to jump into a swimming pool fully clothed to fish out fish. <laughs> blindfolded and um and then uh johnny utah's talking to him and he doesn't realize he's like yeah I, you know i got this like snotty nose like blue flame out of quantico and um and uh, he takes off his blindfold and he realizes it's him and then fucking gary Busey just looks at him and goes welcome to sea world kid <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love um that. And then, and then they start having an argument because they go to find the burn car, which is basically the car that the bank robbers used to, for the like um, the the pickup outside when they bank when they rob the bank. So th- whoever the driver is, they they drive the car out onto Mulholland Drive and then they burn it. Right, so it's a burn car. So Johnny Utah is immediately like, "Let's go find the burn car," and of course Angelo's like, "Ah, you know, I'm not working the fucking burn car or whatever." And they have a massive argument. And then Gary Busey turns around to Keanu Reeves and he says, you listen, you little shit. I was taking shrapnel in Quezon while you were crapping in your hands and rubbing it on your face. (laughs) It's a great, that's a great line. I was crying. I watched this movie at 8am and I was crying. I was crying with laughter at that line. I mean, the one, the, the bit I found probably the most hilarious is in like the really climactic scene where um and again massive spoilers but keanu reeves is chasing uh patrick swayze's character dressed as ronald reagan uh through yes. that awesome chase scene which is actually really good oh. like when he's chasing him through yeah. the streets it's really awesome after he's at, but, at the start he starts off there in a gas station and he lights the gas pump on fire and he's spraying it awesome. on the car yeah because he's trying to oh, burn the car yeah it's brilliant. great and he's yeah. just like in that mask which is awesome but um and then it just takes a weird turn when, like, they chase he chases him through a house, and then uh, Keanu Reeves sort of catches up with him. But um, this is my least favorite moment of the film. I know exactly what you're going to say. This is yeah. my least favorite moment of the film. Patrick and Swayze... it reverts back to eight below. Did you cry? Did you <laughs> I cry? Didn't cry? Go on. What funny. happens? Tell the listeners what happened. <laughs> Patrick Swayze's character in a Ronald Reagan mask picks up a pit bull dog and throws <laughs> it at Keanu Reeves. Who who does what? Uh, he sort of it... just like. No, no. He, oh, yeah, no. he grabs it and then punches it. He drop it. kicks that fucking dog <laughs> off of the porch. <laughs> I was disgusted. I was fucking disgusted. It, I was like, yeah, he's fucking drop kicked that dog off of the porch. Like, so unnecessarily as well. And it's a big yeah. dog. It's not like a little terrier. It's like a big It's pitbull. a big, it's a mastiff. There's mastiff. A it's mastiff. A, it's yeah, like one of the wall yeah. of muscle, isn't it? Uh, that is a great so, scene. That is that's dated. I don't like seeing my leading men, leading women, whatever, drop kicking dogs off of porches in movies. Listen in no. Hollywood, and it had the whole proper like oh, like sound effect. Yeah, as he, as yeah awful. Yeah, terrible. But I got uh, I, I I there was some like there were some really cool moments in that um in that foot chase though, like the end of the foot chase when he pulls out his gun and he he can't kill him, he can't shoot him, so he shoots it up in the air and he goes ah. As Danny and Hot Fuzz would say, <laughs> yeah, um, that ah. is absolutely that's, yeah. <laughs> you ever pull out your gun, shoot it in the air, and go ah ah? Um, <laughs> yeah, I love that. There's there's a lot of like um, there's a lot of like homoeroticism in this. The there's there's a reference point within a homoerotic quote. Actually, I don't know if you picked up on this. I haven't mm. looked at the IMDb 
trivia page, by the way, at all. I've just all I've done is I've just watched this movie and just noted. Well, I'm going to spoil you with some goodies in a minute. Love it. So there's a scene where Johnny Utah turns to Pappas and he's talking about Bodie, played by uh, Patrick Swayze, and he goes, "I'm on him all day, right? He goes here, he goes there." He goes to Tower Records and buys some CDs. He has lunch at Patrick's Roadhouse. (laughs) Holy fuck! (laughs) Patrick Swayze was in Roadhouse. He had lunch at Patrick's Roadhouse. Yeah. I was like... Did did I just hit... I'm like, was that not the most obvious reference I've ever heard in a movie in my life? He basically went and met up with Patrick Swayze... From Roadhouse fame, <laughs> and they're there having lunch together, ripping out throats together, jamming oh, with gonna... Sam Elliott. Like, <laughs> I want to see that love movie. It. I've got another uh, movie within movie link coming up. No way. It's really, yeah, it's really good. Lay it on me. Uh, but what I do want to say first is, like, as another observation, is, and I think the main issue <laughs> that I have with this entire film is that uh, they robbed the bank at the beginning. Yeah. And the. Is it Richard Nixon robber moons? I am not a crook. I am not a crook. But yeah, he he moons the camera, and it says right. thank you on thank his you. ass. Right, thank you on his ass. Yeah, right. What kind of bank installs a CCTV system with a CCTV camera that's at ass level and that can zoom in <laughs> with that amount of clarity on an ass, and then <laughs> provides that? level of clarity of an arse shot to the fbi well i agree with you i was thinking the same thing and i got to but i got two extra questions for you number yeah. one why write thank you on your ass in the first place who wrote it as well and number two who wrote it <laughs> <laughs> like, like like sorry bro 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 what is it you know we're gonna rob that bank later yeah 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 you nervous no 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 no. i'm not nervous have you got a sharpie what's up man uh <laughs> Could you just grab that pen? Yeah, why, why, why can't you grab? Um, I need you to write thank you on my ass. Sorry, what? <laughs> I need you to write thank you on my ass. But why? Uh, because I'm going to moon the camera in the bank when we run out. You know the one that's at butt level. I'm going to pull down my pants <laughs> and I'm going to moon that point point blank, point break, and it's going to say thank you. But why, man? Um, because it's fun. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Just checking. You haven't got a, like a surfer tan, have you? Because the cops are going to pick up on that. <laughs> yeah, and I love the way that that's that whole thing is integral to the plot because that. Oh yeah, his that guy's ass is the reason oh. that oh. that Keanu Reeves. But that's like... amazing. That scene's amazing because because basically you, you've got Johnny Utah and Pappas, and they're sitting in the FBI office, and there's like a maybe a dozen Corona bottles laying behind them. Yeah. Pappas is drinking a bottle of he's, he's shotgunning a bottle of Jack Daniels. They got Chinese those little Chinese like um ca- uh, cartons Take everywhere. Out, like, that, containers, yeah. I've lived in America for two years. I've never seen one of those Chinese cartons. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> They're everywhere in movies. So they've got all that stuff laying around. And then Pappas turns around to me and goes, by the way, <laughs> bearing in mind they've been there for hours in the office getting drunk. By the way, <laughs> did you notice the tan? <laughs> and he's like what he's like i did this research into the tan and i realized this blah 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 blah. then i noticed that there's this foot issue what do you mean the foot issue well someone's rubbed their foot and it's 10 different kinds of waxes and then i look at this wax and it's this sex wax stuff 
from a surfboard. And he's like, <laughs> but why didn't he tell him that? Like, let's face it, like a good two hours before when they first got in there and they, well, they were actually getting beers. down to work. Yeah, <laughs> they've been there for hours. <laughs> they've been there for hours in the FBI. But it's office. the fact that later in the film, the 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 whole like realization moment for Keanu Reeves is mm. when there's a slow motion montage of them all surfing out at sea and he sees the guy pull his trousers down and sees the guy's ass. And he's like, oh, that's that guy's <laughs> ass that was on the thing. And it's in slow motion. It's, it's, like, it's slow motion. Like, and he realizes it's the same ass that he saw in that clarity. If that said thank you on it, I'd, see, I'd know that. I'm sure anyway. that's the same ass. There's, that, like, that's a great slow motion sequence. My other favorite slow motion sequence is the introduction to Johnny Utah who this is within the first 30 seconds of the movie is he climbs out, he climbs up like from under something in the pissing rain and he has a shotgun in his hand and he just cocks the shotgun while looking straight down the camera for no apparent reason. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it comes up saying Keanu Reeves. And yeah. that is just, it was just like, you, you know, from that slow motion shot, you're like, which by the way, has been recreated by every michael bay movie ever since like michael bay has ripped this movie this is michael bay's career like he's took catherine bigelow's movie and he's gone right i'm gonna do that forever i'm having that um but yeah exactly i'm having that but that 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 really made me um that really made me chuckle and yeah i mean talking about like the surfing scenes there was that there was that really um tender moment where where johnny played by keanu reeves goes out on the on the water and it's the nighttime surf, the stealth mission kid. And they go yeah. out on the on, on the on the waves. And you see Johnny and his love interest. And you know, he's really kind of sassy, great character, like strong female character, um, who's not initially falling for his charm. But they go out and they're finally alone on the ocean at night under a, a full moon. The music's playing, it's romantic, you know, they're talking about life and the world, and they're about to kiss. But Keanu Reeves then, for no apparent reason, reaches down, grabs her leg, strokes her leg, and goes, oh, goosebumps. <laughs> and completely yeah. ruins the moment. Completely ruins yeah. the moment. That's brilliant. Goosebumps. She's like, oh, okay. Goosebumps. <laughs> it's like he's so in love with Bodhi. He was like, it's like he was like trying to take his mind off of it, the fact that like she wanted to kiss him. And he was like, oh, oh. Goosebumps. I want to kiss Bodie. Oh. Uh, well, I'm going to hit, like, we're going to finish up. I'm going to hit you with some trivia from okay. this film. Mm. So from my favorite part of any IMDb page, mm. the trivia section. So yeah. I'm going to read this one out because it's a bit long, but it's good. The film was originally called Johnny Utah. Uh, so when he was cast, Keanu Reeves that is in the, in the role. So they, they were going to call the film Johnny Utah, but they thought, the studio thought it didn't have much to do with surfing. Uh, so they, when they <laughs> can you cast, s- you can imagine a load of Hollywood executives sitting there. Uh, I love it. Can you surf in Utah? Just <laughs> Is thinking, there any beaches in Utah? It, yeah, do they surf in Utah? Because, <laughs> you know, surfing Utah, maybe we can like run a few other names. I don't know. Maybe Johnny California. <laughs> <laughs> so when Swayze was cast, uh, they were going to rename it uh, Point Riders, of, Riders of the Storm. Oh, okay. After, after the Doors song, which is really cool. Yeah. 
Riders but, on the Storm. Yeah, great. Yeah, right. Yeah, sorry, not Riders of the Storm. Riders on the Storm. But mm. the lyrics don't have anything to do with surfing. So they said, like, no. Mm. <laughs> so they renamed it Point Break later on. So that was that's trivia number one. I quite like that film, Riders of the Storm. I, the thing about Point, the name Point Break, though, just quickly, is that you get glimpses of Johnny's descent into that breaking point bet- between being undercover and being an adrenaline junkie. But it's never really that clear. You always know that he's rooting for the FBI until the end yeah. when he lets him go. Yeah. Um, it's it's a good true. fucking name, though, isn't it? It's a good fucking name when you think about Point it. Break. Point Break. Roll, yeah, they nailed the it. Tongue, it. Yeah, they nailed it. Trivia number two. Uh, the beach spot where the f- they play the American football game. Um, mm. Yeah, when they're all getting... When he's sort of getting yep. to know them. and. Uh, it's the that's the foreplay same... scene, I believe. When yeah, the foreplay, it's the foreplay scene. scene when Johnny finally gets Bodie wet. He tackles him into the sea, <laughs> uh, and but that beach, that beach, that beach spot, that exact spot is the same spot used for the football game or soccer game in the Karate Kid. Oh shit! Yeah, you're the best around. <laughs> and then the you know I said I was going to link another two films together. You're yep. going to like this one. So when Bodie, uh, that's Patrick Swayze, is introduced to Johnny Utah, Keanu Reeves, on the beach, he remarks that Utah's surfboard reminds him of a 57 of his... Chevy. Yes. And which and in which film does Patrick Swayze drive Go a on. 57 Chevy? Go on. Dirty Dancing. Oh. Yeah. Oh, my love one that he used to own that is incredible i like that and then another good one is that the members of the ex-presidents the the team of robbers are killed they are killed in chronological order of when their respective president served in office Ooh, i've not checked the i've not checked the science like not the science but the actual historical fact of that and people will be checking on that one they will but they can let us know if we're wrong and then i'll just blame imdb because that's where i got it from uh and then the last thing just to finish up is this was in the trivia section and it was about it's about the dog scene actually where he drop kicks the dog but it, it, i'm still not happy about that i won't no, laugh but at that. That is... no it, it, but this made this made me laugh because of the way it was written right so i'm just going to read it as it's written and it's not a trivia really but it's i'll just read it out it says the dog had been prepped for this and was comfortable with the action <laughs> the the ground was padded underneath them to ensure complete safety the toss was completed successfully and no harm came to the animal a fake dog was used when utah kicked the dog <laughs> I just love the fact that they said the dog had been prepped for this oh, and it was comfortable with the action. Like it was a fucking stunt that? dog. That they just they like, do that? Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Don't condone I mean, it. They... If I ever see anyone drop kick a dog, I would drop kick the shit out of their face. It was a right? big reason why I wasn't, I wasn't like, after that with Keanu Reeves, I was like, I'm not really into this now. Like he's a f- prick. He's just <laughs> drop kicked a dog. Johnny Utah. Yeah. He absolutely should. I mean, there are so many plot holes in this. Why did the why did the ex presidents kidnap Johnny's girlfriend? Like they kidnapped her. 
they found out that Johnny was an FBI agent because Johnny was going to shoot Bodie and he didn't. And instead he shot his gun in the air and he went, ah. They found it out because he was like the most, the worst FBI agent ever. He Terrible. turned up to his own raid Terrible. in the same neighborhood where they all hang out. As Plus, a, a, they all knew his name. They, he, yeah, Patrick his Swayze real knew name. him. I know who you are. You're Johnny Utah. You threw that fucking 300-yard toss in the fucking Super Bowl. Ohio, Ohio or whatever it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've got all that going on. They then kidnap Johnny's girlfriend. And the explanation is, and they then, oh, by the way, they then take him parachuting. Let's go parachuting. They go skydiving. No, he, we didn't like rig his shoot or anything and kill him. We had a great time. And then we landed. And then Patrick Swayze took him into the van. And he goes, look, here's a video of your girlfriend with a knife to her throat. If you do anything, say anything, we're going to kill her. And he's like, all right. Um, okay, what are we going to do? The explanation is, you're going to come and rob a, rob a bank with us. <laughs> yeah. And bearing in mind, they've committed like 20 or 30 robberies of banks over the last like few months. Okay. They now, for no apparent reason, they go to a similar bank um, that they don't really need to go to um, with like an extra person, but they take him without a mask so they can show him up to the cops or whatever to get him in trouble with the cops. Yeah. Yeah. What possible? They do reason? know how it was undercover, right? Like they, yeah. the FBI are going to believe their own employee generally. Yes, that's yeah. been undercover with the same people that are robbing the bank. What was the fucking point? And then, and then, like they, the the whole thing ends, and the car drives up, and she's in the car, and she runs to him, and, and oh 90. great, thanks. Oh, I just that was just stupid. And then at the end, he travels all the way to Australia via Fiji. Um, which looks to me, it looks like Big Sur in California. I don't know. I haven't checked that, but it like with the, with the pine trees and the cliffs and the rocks and everything. But the police officers are clearly the most Australian people you've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> they are really not. And they're like, you've let the bloody bastard go. <laughs> they are really, their accents are terrible. Yeah, it's really What bad. are you doing? You let him go. <laughs> we'll, we'll get him when he comes back in. It was... <laughs> He's not, He's not coming back in. <laughs> um, yeah, I Point break. don't know. Point Break. Point Break is it, it is number one, the greatest movie of all time. Number About two, surfing. the worst movie of all time. Also, have you seen the remake? I've not seen the remake, and I no, uh, I don't want to see it. It stars the leading actor of um, The Last Days of American Crime. <laughs> Which we love so much. So on next week's podcast, we'll be bringing you more of the same with news, reviews, interviews, and all the regular movie-related fun. But before we do, please follow our Facebook and Instagram accounts at, at MovieMouthPodcast and hit subscribe or give us a nice five-star review on your podcast player of choice. There's just one last thing to say. Phil. Yes. Yes. Would you dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? <laughs> I would, yeah, as it goes. Me too. Bye, Phil. See you later. Goodbye.
I'm fucking sweating my balls off. I'm so hot. <laughs> that's why I'm like, balls. that's why I'm in like a really fun mood. Because <laughs> you've got sweaty balls. Yeah. <laughs>